I wanted to have my own company, you know, like I was the six-year-old girl. I lived in a trailer park. And two weeks after Halloween, you know, I had the little store selling my Halloween candy. I saved it. I didn't need it. I sold it. I wanted money. Hey, welcome to the Executalks podcast. It's the show that gives you insight to the personal stories of today's top executives. In this episode, you will hear from Rayanne Rushing, current CEO and co-founder of The Rushing Company, an engineering firm that specializes in sustainability for the built environment. In other words, they design engineering systems in commercial buildings in the Pacific Northwest. Prior to starting her own firm, Rayanne got her degree in mechanical engineering from the University of Washington and worked for several engineering and construction firms. Now, we've had many guests on the show that have inspiring stories, but I believe this is one of the most inspiring because Rayanne really was at rock bottom. Like, she was homeless, she was pregnant at 15, and she had all the reasons to give up on life. So you want to stick around until the end to hear about how she was able to pull through and start one of the most successful engineering firms So Rayanne grew up in Fairbanks, Alaska, in a trailer park. She admits that she didn't have good parenting growing up, and essential items like food were scarce at times. Because of the living situation at home, she felt safe and love for elementary school. But as she grew older and got into high school, she started to feel like she didn't fit in and became very unmotivated which made her drop out of school at 15, and a series of events would lead her to hit rock bottom. I was uh, in an underprivileged uh, situation up in Fairbanks. Um, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. We lived in, like I said, a trailer park. Um, Alaska has great schools, and I was, you know, I loved school. I loved school, and it was something I did well regardless of how hard it was at home and what was happening around me in my home life, school became a real happy place for me and, uh, and a refuge and a, and a real strength for me. What, what, what made you feel happy about school? What was it that... Because I'm very competitive and I was really, I was always at the top of the class. So I could win there and I loved winning. I loved you know, um, being the best at math in the class. I loved being the best reader. Whatever it was, I wanted to be at the top. And I usually got there. And I loved that. It was success for me. And uh, so, um, you know, it, when you're brought up in that kind of an environment and things are not, uh, you know, you know, things are scarce. Um, I didn't have a lot of good parenting happening. And uh, so at 15, I, I did drop out of high school at that point. And I was, I was done with school. I, I didn't like high school. Yeah, do, do, you mind me, do you mind sharing like what you mean by bad parenting? Well, you know, drugs and alcoholism in the family, abuse. Um, so it was, a, it, was, it was a rough upbringing. And, uh, you know, it's part of why I work with the groups that I do. I ended up 
um, not having a safe place to live when I was 15 uh, here in Seattle. And uh, so I understand homelessness. I understand not being able to feed yourself. Um, oh. And uh, and then, you know, I, like I said, I dropped out of high school and I started, uh, you know, trying to work. But again, I didn't have a lot of modeling of being an adult. So I really was kind of bouncing around in living situations and and wow. uh, not doing very well. So, so, so what made you drop out of school? Because... Yeah. Is, is it because you had to work or? No, I mean, I, a li I didn't fit in. I, um, you know, when you come from that kind of background, you feel real isolated in the world. I think that's a real common experience. And, and I just didn't feel like I fit in the high school scene. I, I did not like it. As good as, as smart as I think I might have been or, or any of that, it, it didn't really matter. I, I was unmotivated. So I kind of spiraled down into this place of like, I'm gonna you know, give up on this. Uh, without, you're, you're young and you don't really think about it and then you find yourself, yeah, not having a home, having a hard time feeding yourself, taking care of yourself. So, um, and I got pregnant after I quit school. And I, you know, when I, when I, my son was born, I was 17, I, was was I, was, the, was your um, was the person was was the father of the, was he yes. still with you at the time? Or yes, we okay. were together at that point, um, but he was kind of from the same background that uh, I was, so we weren't real. I mean, couple of you know people, couple of kids, you know, banging around the city trying to figure out how to live on the street or not, and then we had a baby, and it was time to get serious, and uh, and it and it woke both of us up. So can you take us through, you know, like some people maybe in the situation that, you know, I'm just trying to imagine myself and other people that, were, that you know, would be 15 years old, just had a kid. Yeah. So, you know, like you're probably having feelings of fear, feelings of insecurity, you know, feelings of, oh, my God, you know, just, just these just crazy negative thoughts in your head. How did you manage to, you know, even with those crazy negative thoughts, still find a sort of the, see the... So people, people in those situations, they're not making... Um, their options are one, what's the, what's, what's the better of two bad choices? That's where they're at. They're not gonna have great choices in front of them. They're gonna be, what's, what's worse, living on the street tonight or you know, befriending this person I don't know and hoping I'm gonna be safe with this situation for the evening. You know, They're trying to decide that. So they don't have a lot of positive options sometimes and that's a real, um, you know, people being aware of that is and, and not judging. So sometimes they're just they're making the best of you know best choice out of two not great choice you know two options. Yeah, and so um, working your way out of that, digging your way out of that, kind of spiraling up, takes a lot of um, uh, trusting yourself. Okay, believing in yourself. So Rianne gets pregnant at 15 years old. She realizes that she needs stability for her baby to survive, and it woke her up. Luckily, the University of Washington was offering scholarships for economically disadvantaged people, and Rianne would receive a scholarship to get a degree so she could dig herself out of the financial hole she was in. You know, and I think it's important to note that 
Even her own advisor doubted her ability to get through a rigorous engineering program. But that only fueled Rayanne's drive and she would work even harder. During your college days, yeah. and you know, you're an engineer, um, being a female engineer at, yeah. at the University of Washington at that time was, or actually even in the STEM field was kind yeah. of not, you know. Well, honestly, I, the, the, back then it was about 7% female. Today in my specific field, which is mechanical, it's 7.9. So it really 49. has- 0.9%. In 30 years, 0.9%, not great. So it's still quite slim. The overall engineering, when you take all the disciplines, has increased a little bit. It's about 14% now, and it was five. So there, there's some improvement in a general sense, but again, we're still, 14% is nothing. Yeah. It's, it's disproportionate to the amount, to the population. Absolutely. There's more women than men in America. Absolutely, yeah. it's not, it, it's nonsensical to me. And, um, you know, the quarter would be nine weeks. Yeah. I'd start the quarter, I'd get my stack of books that were like this for engineering school. I'd start looking out, I'd be completely intimidated, like I'm never gonna figure this class out. Mm -hmm. And then lo and behold, by mid quarter, you know, I'm rocking through the quarter, getting her done, getting her yeah. done. <laughs> and I never missed a day of school. In six years, I went to college. Sick or not, nothing. I always went, That's, that was my process. If I could show up and hear the lecture, I was probably gonna get it. Okay, I was probably gonna do okay. Homework aside and anything else aside, if I could get to lecture and hear it, I could I could take the test and get through the class. And that's how I did college and, and working, because I was busy and I had daycare and I had to run the kids, yeah. you know, it's really juggling all that, very crazy. Um, and then we'd get a break, right? You get your two week break and then I'd kind of fall apart. Like I'd get sick on break, I'd sleep, I'd, you know, it was kind of almost regular. So that's how I, it's like your body knows when it's time to work and it knows when it's time to rest. Mm -hmm. And and so I would kind of fall into those cycles um, pretty regularly and kind of, you know, on the breaks, I would kind of hunker down and get well again and then go back at it. I would, you know, it is so worth it. People are not very encouraging or they're not, they don't believe you can do it either. There's a lot of potentially that, that's what I received that, you know, this is impossible. How could you ever could think you, you could do yeah, this? Yeah. You're crazy. This is- Really, someone told you that? Oh, I had the uh, um, director, the dean of mechanical engineering when I looked into <laughs> mechanical engineering in my, in my sophomore year, he told me there's no way you're gonna be able to do this. You're so kidding. don't even apply. He told me that. So by the way, you got a message for him. Well, so yeah. So it did. It bought. It made me very angry, and yeah. I get that way. And I said, you know, I'm going to show them. I think I'm one of the most underestimated people I know. Wow. Most people underestimate what I'm able to accomplish, and I think that would be the message to anybody. You're. You have much more capacity than you know. And, and if you're there and you're in that situation, it's because you can do it. It's because you can be that. So during your college days, right, going back to college, yeah. mm -hmm. I know you were waiting tables and yes. supporting your family yes. while paying for school. Mm -hmm. What were some key struggles that you had to overcome at that time? I mean, I'm, I can only imagine. Right, I, yeah. I had a hard time doing it with a scholarship. Yes, so, <laughs> I know. I, you know, making, those, making the numbers work 
and going to school. First of all, waitressing was a great gig because it paid, you, you got your minimum wage, but the tips, you know, you made better than minimum wage with tips. And I had a really good job on the University Avenue uh, in a bar. And Which one is it? It's called University Bar and Grill. I don't think it's still there anymore, but it was there for years. Gotcha. A lot of people know about that place. Yeah. A lot of fun times in there. And uh, I worked there for 10 years. And um, <clears throat> even when I graduated uh, from college and started working in yeah. my career, I hung on to the weekend work really? to make sure, you know, because I still financially, again, I had right. a lot, a lot of... Um, a lot of desire to get myself out of a financial hole. And yeah. I had loans and I had, yeah. yeah, so I worked a couple jobs for a while after I graduated. So there's no doubt that it's difficult for us to say we have enough money, right? It's in our nature as humans to want more money, especially when we were poor at one point in our lives. And when Rayanne graduated college, she had several job offers from different companies and she accepted the lowest paying offer, something that really shocked us and I honestly was intrigued by her explanation. Before I got out of school, before I graduated, I graduated in August and I had four offers by May wow. before, before I, I was done. So I had some good choices in front of me and yeah. interestingly, I chose the lowest paying really? offer However, they interviewed me five times. And because it was so hard, I wanted to work for them. You're that competitive, huh? I am that competitive. It was like, man, these guys really are doing a good job of scrutiny. They must really want me because they've scrutinized me really well. They know me the best. They gave me the lowest offer and I took the job and it was with Brian Allen. Yeah. So by the way, best thing I ever did. <laughs> best thing I ever did. Okay, I really stand by that decision. But I'll tell you, when you're in my shoes, you think I would go for the money shot. Right. And so I would say that's a mistake people make. I negotiate a lot with employees, especially young people. They, they're, you know, that you make yourself appear like you can be bought. That's not a good quality, you know? It's just not a good quality. And if it's real for you, rethink that. Okay, rethink that. If somebody's just highest bidder on my head, there's, I got more to me than that. And I wanna let you know that, okay? So if I'm just like, yeah, who's got the high, you know, no, I'm gonna, I wanna go, I'm gonna direct this program. I'm gonna go work where I wanna work. Gotcha. Whether they're the lowest, the medium, or the high, I'm gonna investigate you. Turn it around on the employer. I'm investigating you, and I'm not really, yeah, great benefits, good stuff, but what are you about? What are your values, okay? And I really appreciated that, that first employer, their values that they showed me. We want to be sure. They wanted to investigate. They yeah. wanted to learn about me. Those values that they showed me were like, I like that. I want to work for them. Interesting. And I chose that path as opposed to letting money, some carrot that is really vaporous. You know, I mean, money is just a... Believe me, when you haven't had it, I love it, so don't get me wrong. <laughs> I mean, really, it's, it's a, a great tool. tool. It yeah. offers tons of opportunity, <laughs> and it is much easier to be a happy person when you're financially secure. I will tell you that. Much easier to work a program of daily you know, happiness and principles when you have that problem solved. 
But it is not, an, you know, it is not, it cannot drive, you know, your heart and soul. It just, it really, it really, you'll get yourself, I think for me, I get myself in trouble if I forget who I am. Deeper meaning. Yeah, who am I? What is value, what are my values today? So there she was, 18 years out of school, working at the largest mechanical construction company in Seattle, making a good salary. After all, she had been poor her entire life and now she had it all or so we thought. Do you remember in the beginning of the show when Rayanne describes her six-year-old self and how she wanted to have her own company? Well, that never went away. She would get a feeling of extreme urgency and leave the stability she had always wanted, risk it all, and start her own company. People with a calling, okay? People with a calling, it's a calling. It's just a knowing. A calling is a knowing. Calling is today's the day and you go and you have complete confidence that it's the right answer even when everybody's telling you it's not. Oh. And that's exactly what happened for me and it happened to me before in my life for other things but when it hit me about doing this company, um, it was that, it's just that experience. So I'd always been somewhat of an entrepreneur, like I described my six-year-old Halloween story, right? I mean, I'd always been like that. I like to win. There's no doubt about it. I had tried to make some sort of business work in our business. And again, I couldn't figure the math out. Um, and then uh, again, one day in, you know, it was late 2005, I got that feeling. I said to my husband at the time, Scott Rushing, uh, let's do this. Of course, he thought I was nuts, of course, which is an awesome story in itself. But nevertheless, I'm not to be deterred when I've got a knowing going on or a calling Nothing going on. Me. Nothing stops me. And I you know, put it all together. By March of 2006, um, I had resigned and started rushing. Scott was still not sure if he was going to quit. Okay, this might have just been me by myself for a Holy while. God. Couldn't find enough people. We got a 40-story high-rise. So you want a um, We won a project in March before Scott quit. And I've come home, oh, you know, we got, this, we, we got this project, man, and it's enormous. I got no CAD. I got no office. So, I mean, it was right away, like, how am I going to do this? But I am going to do it. Okay, that's all I knew and how I didn't know, but we, you know, I had a client on board. We went and then Scott quit in May, finally, and then off we were running and we, we had, we were, so the hardest part of the whole gig was finding people to support us and help us in hiring. My first hire, I, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. It was very, very difficult for me to bring on another family. This particular engineer had a family. I was now going to be responsible for his insurance. I mean, it was okay to screw my own life up, but I didn't want to screw up anybody else's, so I was very nervous about hiring him. Today, I mean, I've probably hired over the last 13 years, you know, 300, 500 people in and out. Yeah, I don't know what the number is, but a lot of people have come and gone or interviewed or whatever, and I don't blink an eye anymore, of course, right? But that first one was, I did, I thought I was gonna have a heart attack. I was just super scared, super scared. That's okay, scared's okay. 
I mean, what's it about if you can't have, you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and part of yeah. this and that is scare, is fear, you know, yeah. and, and walking through that. So, Rayanne would start her engineering firm in 2006 with her husband at the time, but three years later, in 2009, they began filing for divorce. Now, what's interesting is that today, like 14 years later, they're still in business together. Now, it's one thing to have kids with someone and then go through a divorce, but getting married to someone, having kids, going through a divorce, and then remaining business partners throughout the entire process just takes incredible mental stamina. So, of course, we had to ask Rianne what that was like. And oh yeah, we can't forget to talk about what advice she'd give her 24-year-old self if she could go back and talk to herself. Sometimes I look back at her and I think, I'd sure like to talk to her because she, she had some rocking things. To, she, had, she was rocking it. Sometimes I would want to go talk to her to help me get inspired today. And that's what I would tell her if I were like, do you know how inspiring you are, Rayanne? that these people that are struggling through school, and I didn't know how inspiring I was to people. I didn't, but I was. I can see that, because I'm 54 today, and I think about that girl a lot and think, man, she was, that was, that was neat. That inspires yeah. me today. I would like to go talk to her and have her, but I would tell her she's inspiring. I did not know that when I was that age. I didn't know what I was doing was kind of extraordinary, you didn't know you were capable of it. I didn't know, yeah. Just did not know. So um, I think that's kind of fun to think about because that's what I tell people when I run into people that are really tr doing these kinds of yeah. things in their life. I'm like, do you understand what you're, the impact you're having? And you may not really get it till you're 50, okay? But, you know, you get to really fully see and reflect on um, what you're, the ripple effect of your, what you're doing today. Nobody gave me a handbook on how to start a business. Nobody gave me a handbook for how to raise kids. Nobody gave me a handbook for these things, how to be married, how to get divorced and have a part, you know. So I'm making it up as I go. And, you know, you usually, <laughs> usually learning because I might walk into a wall or two. Yeah. That's how it works, right? You can, and again, it's not a mistake or a failure. It's like, okay, maybe I don't go that way this time. Let's go this way. <laughs> Let's try this. Course correct. Course correct. My attitude about divorce is different, I think, than a lot of people. Most people think it's a, it's a relationship ending process. And for me, it's a relationship changing process. And I think when you go about divorce in that mindset, you're going to have a, the opportunity to possibly have more success with you know, something like what Scott and I have created and staying friends, staying business partners. Um, it's been 10 years since we got divorced. We divorced three years into the business. So 2009, we started in 2006, 2009, we started getting divorced. Mm -hmm. And here it is 2019. So, you know, relationships with people for me are, they can change. I don't have too many that have you know, I have my, my best girlfriend in the world. I've known her since we were nine, okay? We were little girls. She's still in my life. My very best friend, she lives here in Woodenville. Wow. Um, I'm a fan, and that, that relationship has changed, of course, over time. Yeah. And been, but 
deeper and deeper and deeper. Same with Scott. I've known him for 30 years. Uh, not married, married, not married. You know, business partners throughout the 30 years, pretty right. much. Um, and but richer and richer and deeper and deeper as it's gone on. Um, so be open to those kinds of ideas with people. You know, it can change and it doesn't have to be the end of the world, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we want to yes. switch gears just a little okay. bit. We want to play a, a fun, quick game, okay. all right? In your opinion, what's the most important life skill? <sighs> Adapt to change. Number two, if you were stranded on an island, right? and had access to one meal, what would that be? Oh my goodness. I love a ribeye steak, I know. Oh, I'm yeah. a total carnivore. I love steak, a good ribeye. Number three, what is your biggest pet peeve? Oh, well, when people, <laughs> well, two, two of them, long goodbyes. Like, hey, you said goodbye. Weren't you leaving oh, like an hour ago? Oh, long goodbye, right? I hate that. <laughs> it's like, it's like at a party or so. I was like, didn't you say goodbye to me like an hour ago? Get the hell out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so, long <laughs> goodbyes. But also, signature on your email, man. Signature. Get your phone number on there. Oh, oh. People don't do that? I know. It oh, happens. It's like, come on. And I don't want to go to the bottom of the string to find it. Yeah, Every right. email. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hello? So number four, yes. you've had a lot of mentors in your life. Yeah. What was the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Uh, don't do a deal if you think the guy or gal is gonna screw you, no matter what the contract says, right? <laughs> Just don't do the deal if you got a gut sense that this is gonna be, you're gonna get screwed. So trust your gut. Trust, trust your gut, Pro yeah, okay. yeah. This is personally my favorite one, all right? Okay. Just as quickly as possible. Gotcha. You got three kids, mm -hmm. Evan, Amanda, and Anton. Yeah. Who's your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Evan. Okay. Oh, really? He changed my life. I was 17 when I had him. He, cha he changed my life, my whole perspective on life. I love that baby boy. And really, I pulled myself out, uh, out of somewhat of a little bit of a depression and decided to rock this planet over that little guy. So yeah. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and please leave a review so that we can better serve you. Take care, dream big, and we'll see you next Monday.